Amen. Well, how many blessed people are in God's house today? And it's good to see all of you. Happy, happy 4th of July. I'm so glad that you are here. Thank all of you for being here. And just please remember all of our announcements and good fellowship in this house. So let's just take it outside and drink some lemonade and extend that fellowship. Well, here's a little humor for you. So the preacher had just finished his sermon and he went to the back of the church to greet people as his custom was. And one of the little deacon boys came up to him and looked at him and handed him some money. And the pastor looked at him. He said, son, he said, what, what's this for? He said, well, it, it's for you, pastor. I want you to have it. Pastor looked at him. He said, son, I don't want to take, I don't want to take your money. He said, yeah, pastor. He said, you, 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 you got to have it. He said, I want you to have it. He said, he said, why do you want me to have it, son? He said, well, my daddy says you're the poorest preacher we've ever had. So I just need to, <laughs> felt like I needed to give it to you. <laughs> Well, y'all may feel that way after today. <laughs> I hope not. Um, you who send me humor, thank you. You know who you are, and I appreciate it. Today, I want to talk about how Jesus handled stress. I want to talk about how Jesus handled stress. How many believe there's a whole lot of stress in the world right now? How many's under a little of it? <laughs> yes. That's what I want to talk about. You can be seated. If you get to thinking about it, there's probably no one that ever lived that was under greater stress than our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that he literally took all of the sins of the world upon himself as he went to the cross. Now, I don't know about you. Maybe this is just me. But when I don't do it right or when the Holy Spirit convicts me, it's a weight to me. And I'm like, Lord, I'm sorry that I did that. I didn't portray you in the best light. And, and that sin can be a weight to me. Does any, anyone know what I'm talking about? Now you just times the weight that you feel when you haven't done right or uh, maybe said it just right and the Holy Spirit convicts you. And you feel that in your spirit. Think about that times 8 billion. Think of the weight that would be upon you. And so Jesus understands stress. He was probably one of the most stressed individuals that had ever lived when you start to think about the weight of sin upon him. Also think about once he began his public ministry Think about how, how busy he was. Once in scripture, it talks about that literally Jesus and his disciples were so busy, they didn't even have time to eat. That's in your Bible. People were constantly trying to get to him. They were wanting to be healed by him. The religious folks were wanting to trap him. And some were even so mad that they wanted to kill him. And yet, when we look throughout the scripture, we never see one time where Jesus ever ran. It's never mentioned that he ever ran in scripture. Uh, it's never mentioned in scripture that Jesus ever got in a hurry. And yet, through all of the stress that was in his life, God was able to give him grace to go through it. So how did Jesus handle this enormous stress? I'm going to take a few things and apply it to our life as I see what Jesus modeled in his. Number one, I think that one of the number one ways that we can learn how to handle stress is simply this. Know your identity. Know who you are. You say, how can that help me? Well, Jesus had no doubt what his identity was, because if you don't know who you are, the world and your friends will try to convince you to be who they want you to be. 18 times in scripture, 18 times in the gospels, Jesus says this, various things, but 18 times. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, 
I am the bread that came down from heaven. I am the son of God. He knew exactly who he was and he was constantly reaffirming his identity. I've said this before and I'm going to keep saying it. One of the best things that you can do is not listen to yourself, but speak to yourself. Because when the enemy comes in, you need to open up your mouth and you need to remind yourself, I am a child of God. I may not feel like it. I may not feel a goosebump. I may not feel anything right now, but I know that I am born again and I am a child of God and that God loves me and that he proved it by going to Calvary for me. You need to know who you are because when you know who you are, then you know who you're not. Can I get a witness? But it's funny how we use things, how we use things to prop up our identity. I'm not against anything this morning as far as what I'm about to say. Uh, but listen, I just want to remind all of us, we don't need some hood ornament on a car to tell us that we're important. Again, I'm not against anything this morning. I'm just reminding you, uh, you don't need a hood ornament on your car. You don't need a, uh, 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 you know, a particular name in your lapel. You don't need a certain handbag or a certain piece of luggage that's got a certain brand on it to prop your identity up to make you feel important when you know who you are. Now, I know that just went over like a crochet bathtub. You got to understand something. Drive what you want to drive, wear what you want to wear, whatever kind of luggage you want to pack, whatever kind of handbag you want, that's fine. I don't have a problem with it. But the world is using symbols to help prop up their identity because they don't know who they are. And you just don't need that when you get a revelation that I am a son of the Most High God. I am a daughter of the Most High God. Now, there's two traps, two traps that every one of us face. I face, we all face two traps that will keep us from knowing our identity. Number one is we, we copy people. We all are born into this world an original, but most people die a copy. Do not, God doesn't want you to copy anybody else. He wants you to be your authentic self. We need you to be you. We don't need you to be somebody else. And then the next thing that is a trap is comparing. And comparing is a favorite American sport. What do you mean by that? We compare hairdos. My mama used to fix hair back in the 70s. My mama actually had a little shop in the house and she fixed hair. And I'm not making this up, but it was like the taller your hairdo, the more saved you were. I promise you, I'm not exaggerating. I'm telling the truth. I've actually seen my mama put an oatmeal box on the top of a woman's head and build her hair around it like the Tower of Babel. But that was a sign that you were holy. <laughs> don't go there, Wayne. I don't have time for that. But we compare hairdos. We compare cars. We compare clothes. We even compare salaries. It even gets so bad we compare front yards. Always copying and comparing. And you know what? God says, that's not smart. He said, that's not smart. Why? Why is comparing not smart? Because you can always find somebody not doing as good as you. You can always find somebody doing better than you. So either way, if you go this way, you get prideful. If you go this way, you get discouraged. So both are dead in streets. So don't even go down that street. Be who God called you to be. Understand your gifts, your temperaments, that God loves you and just be you. You may say, well, you know what? I need to copy somebody else because I'm not, I'm not very good at too much. You know, really, that's a lie. Yes, you are. You're good at a lot of things. 
I want this to come up on the screen. Humility is not denying your strengths. You don't need to go around putting yourself down. Humility is not denying your strengths. Humility is being honest about your weaknesses. The reason why you're not good at everything is because God designed it that way. So you know you need other people in your life. Can I get a witness? Okay, I want you to look at John chapter 8 and verse 18. This is in the NIV. Jesus said, I testify on my own behalf. What's he saying? Jesus is saying, I don't need other people's approval. I don't need other people's, you know, to come around and pat me on the head, to validate me, to say I'm worthwhile. And guess what? You don't either. I want you to get in your mind a little Labrador retriever going around You know, wanting a pat on the head saying you're a good boy and you give the little Labrador a little treat. You're a good boy. And I tell you, I want you to get that in your mind because a lot of times that's what we do. We're always looking for somebody to pat us on the head, to validate us, to say that we're worthwhile, that we've got some gifts and talents. And guess what? I appreciate when you tell me, hey, that message blessed me. I thank you for your text. I like it. Sure. You know, we all do. But we don't want to live our life based on a text or a like or a compliment. You want to know that you know who you are, what you bring to the table, and that God is with you. And even though somebody may not approve you and you may not be on their front row, doesn't mean that you're not on God's front row. Come on, somebody. Know who you are. Listen, if if you're doing, I want you to get this, if you are doing your best to walk out a Christ-centered life and somebody still has a problem with you, not being rude, but if you're doing your best to be like Christ and somebody don't like you, it's their problem. It's not yours. One of the number one ways to reduce stress in your life is to know who you are, to know your identity. This is what I can do. I can't do this all that well. This is who I am. This is who I'm not. I'm reaching for the best and let go of the rest. Number two, know your motivation. Know what you're living for. The truth is you can't please everybody. When you make people in court A happy, then somebody in court B is going to be unhappy. The fact of the matter is today, there's a lot of baseball teams playing baseball. And I'm praying for the Astros and those in Dallas are playing, praying for the Rangers. And God's only going to answer 50% of that prayer. I'll give y'all a minute to catch up with that. In other words, only 50% is going to be happy. Why? Because somebody somewhere is praying for rain. Somebody's praying for sunshine. Probably somebody's praying for snow. But guess what? God can do a lot of things, but there are some things he can't do. And that's make everybody happy. And if God can't make everybody happy, then you and I surely can't make everybody happy. What are you saying? I'm saying that if God can't please everyone, that means you can't please everyone. And some of you are still trying to please a parent and they're still after 30 years not pleased with you. I could just tee off on this right here. You're trying to get people to be okay with you that's never going to be okay with you. And if you don't have their approval after 30 years, you're probably never going to get it. But here's the good news. You don't need it. You don't need their approval for God to approve of you. You're as happy. Listen, I know this ain't going to set well because we don't like, we don't like hearing stuff like this, but happiness, ladies and gentlemen, is a choice. You are as happy as you choose to be. And if you're not happy, don't blame it on somebody else. Look in the mirror and ask yourself, why am I not happy? Who am I blaming my unhappiness on? If you let other people determine your happiness, then you let them control you. 
And what you're doing is you're giving your power away. Jesus never gave his power away to the Pharisees. They hated him. They tried to trap him. They tried to kill him. I want to ask you this question. I need to slow down so you can catch up. Y'all with me? What if Jesus would have said, well, the Pharisees don't like me and they're the most religious people I know. So guess what? I'm going to just sit down here and take a back seat. What if Jesus would have done that? What if Jesus would have said, I know there's a lot of people trying to kill me. So, you know what? Just... I'll just offer myself up, get a martyr complex, or just go ahead and take me out because I know you don't like me. What if Jesus would have done that? You and I wouldn't be sitting here today with salvation. Jesus knew who they were. He knew they didn't like him. He knew they were trying to trap him. He knew they hated him. But guess what? There's a verse in in your Bible that says, this is paraphrased, he kept marching toward Jerusalem. Kept marching toward Jerusalem. Why? Because that's where the cross was at. Because he knew his mission. He knew his purpose. He knew not everybody was going to be on his front row. He came to his own and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, which were born not after the flesh nor the will of man, but the power of God. And you got to get it in your spirit. You know what? I want you to be happy with me. I want you to like me. But if you don't, guess what? I got to keep moving. I got to keep going forward because I know God loves me and God approves of me. And when you cower down, you're giving your power away. And that's not very smart. Can I get a witness? Look at what Jesus said in John 5 and 30. He said, I'm not trying to do what I want. Here again, me paraphrasing. I'm only trying to do what my father wants me to do. In other words, Jesus says, I know why I'm here. I know who I am and I know what I'm living for. And I'm living to please God. I'm not living to please people. I had one guy tell me here recently. He said, Pastor, I'm telling you, you got guts like a burglar. I said, what you mean, brother? He said, I'm telling you, you ain't afraid to preach the truth. I said, well, I, I'm, I'm not afraid to preach the truth as long as I do it in love. Because I said, the reason why is one day I'm going to stand before God. And I got to look God in the face and say, God, I preach the truth in love. I'm going to tell you the truth, ladies and gentlemen, because the truth will make you free. It'll do more than just set you free. It will make you free. And when you learn to start living for an audience of one, I'm living to do my best to please God. I'm not living for the approval of the crowd. I'm not trying to get a text or a tweet and you can keep them coming. But that's not what we're living for. We're not. Young people, listen to me. Please, I beg you, do not live for the approval of the culture. Okay. Can I keep going? Okay, number one, know who you are. That's identification. Number two, know what you're living for. That's your motivation. What motivates me? Okay, what what, what does that do? Number one, it simplifies your life. Number one, it simplifies your life. And number two, it reduces stress. If you run around trying to please this person and please that person, you're going to live in constant stress. And we love to blame other people for our stress. Well, they got me doing this and they got me doing that. Again, I'm not trying to upset you, but nobody's putting a gun to your head. Here's a powerful word. It's called no. No. I have people ask me all the time, can you meet me here? No, I can't. Why? Because I got things I got to be doing. I can meet you here, but I can't meet you did. Why? Because if I don't, listen, here's what I've learned, ladies and gentlemen. If I don't get alone and spend time with God, I'm not going to be helping you very much. I can tell I just lost a lot of you. But you got to learn to say no, because if you don't learn to say no, then what you're going to live for is you're going to live for the urgent instead of the important. And you have to understand that everything that is urgent is not important. And everything that is important is not always urgent. Dwight Eisenhower had two baskets on his desk. One was urgent and one was important. And they asked him, well, what what does that mean? What do you do with the important? He said, the important stuff I do and the urgent stuff I forget. Jesus never lived for the urgent. If he, if he, if Jesus would have lived for the urgent, we had had in the Bible where he's running to Lazarus. 
Because he knew he was dead. But he didn't. In fact, he waited four days. Because not everything urgent is important. Not everything important is urgent. But you have to learn to live for what is important. And yet we like to blame all of our stress on other people. Well, they're making me do this. Nobody's holding a gun to your head. Youth, if you're taking notes, here's what I'd like for you to write down. No one can pressure you without your permission. I'm going to say that again. No one can pressure you without your permission. No is a word you learn to get comfortable with. And when you're like me, I'm a people person. I'm a people pleaser. I'm a people person. No is a very hard word. But as I have gotten older, it's getting easier. Why? Because I know that if I don't allow God to pour in, I won't have anything to pour out. Number three. Know your vocation. In other words, know your calling. Are y'all okay? Okay. You may be a truck driver here this morning. You may be a bank teller. Um, You know, maybe a principal. There are no vocations that one is better than the other. You say, well, pastor, how do I know my calling? Here's a real, here's, here's a real powerful thing. If every job, every job from president of the United States to uh, maybe a street sweeper, every job paid $10 an hour, didn't matter what job it was, president or street sweeper, 10 bucks an hour, what would you do? What would you do? You just have to think about it. What would you do if every job paid $10 an hour? That is a very good thing to ask yourself. I don't know my calling. Well, if every job paid the same, then what would you do? What would you wake up in the morning and do? I'm going to tell you, I would do what I'm doing right now. I absolutely love what I do. Okay? Make sense? Here's the next thing. And I don't think this is going to come up on the screen. I should have done this. But here's the next thing you say, I don't know what to do. I don't know. I don't know what my giftings are. Then just think of the word, the letter shape, S-H-A-P-E. Think of that. Think of that word. And then here's what you do. You ask yourself, first of all, what are my spiritual gifts? What are my spiritual gifts? God gifted you at birth. You have spiritual gifts and God gifted you at birth. What are your spiritual gifts? That's the letter S. Okay? Then you go to H. In other words, what's in my heart? What are my desires? What do I love to do? What do I absolutely get up in the morning? See, I get up in the morning. One of the first things I do is pray. I love it. And I study. I love it. Why? Because that's one of the things God has gifted me to. Now, some of you, like Jason, Jason's gifted. He's absolutely gifted and it doesn't make him better than anybody else in this room. It just means he's gifted for certain things. Now, guess what? Jason, can I pick on you a minute? Don't have much choice. I got the mic. Huh? <laughs> Jason, I'm never, and th- this is, this is not in any way putting him down, but I've never seen Jason run around the church. I've never seen him get, you know, shake and shimmy. But I'm going to tell you something. When it comes to his gifts, he's one of the best. And the Bible says that God gifted men and gave them gifts to build the tabernacle. So just because you're not maybe, you know, shaking a little bit or shimmying a little bit, that doesn't mean you're less spiritual or less gifted than anybody else. It just means you're gifted differently. It doesn't make you any better than anybody else. It just means this is what you're called to do. And this is what you love to do. And guess what? We need everyone in this room doing what God has called you to do. And here's what it says in the Bible. Again, this is paraphrased. But when every man was in his place, the battle was won. 
When you've got personality, open the door for people. Greet them, smile at them, say something to them. If you're an introvert and you don't like the door, then there's something else that you can do. But find what you're gifted at. Find your spiritual gifts. Find what you love to do, your desires. That's H. And then A, what are your abilities? What comes natural for you? P is your personality. And then the E is your experience. That's your shape. You take all of that and you say, hey, this is what I think that God wants me to do. Some people think this. Well, if I really want to do something in life, certainly God wouldn't want me to do that. And I'm going to tell you, what kind of God do you serve? You don't serve a mean God, a harsh God, or a cruel God. You serve a loving God. And God put those wholesome desires in your heart. He put those wholesome desires in your heart and he wants you to use those desires. Let's go on. Jesus knew his calling. He knew exactly what he was supposed to do. Here's John 8 and 14. I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. Number four, here's something that will reduce your stress. Know your concentration. Focus on what matters most. One of the keys to life is focus. I say this often. It's not about hocus pocus. It's about focus. Here's what Paul said. Paul said this one thing, this one thing I do. I've said this many times. I'm going to keep saying it. Notice he doesn't say these 30 things I dabble in. This one thing I do. Jesus had one mission and that was to go to the cross. And he stayed focused on his mission all of his life. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me, please. You have enormous, every one of you, you have enormous potential in you. Every one of you have enormous potential, but you have a barrier keeping it from happening. And you know what that barrier is? Here it is. Are you ready? You haven't really decided what matters most in life. And you're still treating everything like it's equally important and it's not. Okay, there's some things that are going to last 10 seconds, some things are going to last 10 years, some things are going to last 10 trillion years, and you can't treat each of those equally important. Bubba gum lasts about 10 seconds, your car lasts about 10 years, but eternity is going to last 10 trillion times 10 trillion years. And anytime you're treating eternity like you're treating a piece of bubble gum, that's not very smart. Not everything is equally important. And when you give something equal importance, when it doesn't deserve it, that's not very smart. And a lot of people say, well, pastor, I just don't have time. And that was a great excuse that a lot of people gave the Lord Jesus. Well, God, I don't have time to follow you. He said, come on, come follow me. And one guy said, no, I got to go bury my father. Jesus said to another, come follow me. And he said, no, I got a business deal I got to take care of. Jesus said, come and follow me. And he said, no, I, I can't, I can't do that. He said, I got to go get married. Ladies and gentlemen. Jesus said this in Luke, and this is a hard word. He said, but anybody who lets himself get distracted from the work that I've called him to do is not fit for the kingdom of God. I know that I know this is a heavy message. I'm not trying to make it heavy. I just want to remind all of us that God has gifted you. And when you stand before God, he's not going to require you to be like Moses or Paul or anybody else. He's going to ask this question. What did you do with what I gave you? And if you decide that you're going to just, you know, treat eternity as not that important, then I'm saying that's a poor choice for you to make. Because you and I are going to be spending a lot more years on that side of eternity than we are this side of eternity. Here's number five. Here's how you can learn to reduce your stress. Learn to listen to God. This is, this is, this is meditation. Again, I'm going over some things. How many of you know how to worry? Okay, then if you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. Because all meditation is, is worrying on, on the wrong thing. Well, I got this bill to pay, and that's all you can think of. You go down the road trying to figure out, how do I pay this bill? My God, how do I get this bill paid? And you think about it for a whole week, 
trying to figure out how do I get this bill paid? How do I get it paid? All meditation is, is turning that around and begin to focus upon scripture. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And you just meditate on it. You got a bill, you meditate on this scripture. My God shall supply all my need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And you just keep saying it over and over and over and over. That's meditation. That's meditation. And I'm going to, again, I'm just coming alongside you this morning as a very practical lesson. Most people, most people look at God as a one-way street. You go to prayer, you ask God for five things. God, I need these five things. Then you ask him, Lord, I want these five things. Then you may praise him for five things, and then it's over and out. And God doesn't look at prayer as a one-way street, as a monologue. He looks at it as a dialogue. God wants to talk to you. But most people are ADD. They don't stay still. Most people don't stay still for 90 seconds, much less 15 minutes. I have learned how to incorporate when I am praying, then nine times out of 10, I will sit down and I will get still and I will ask the Lord, Lord, do you have anything you want to say to me? And I just sit still. I'm going to challenge some of you today, tomorrow, after you pray, go outside, watch a sunset, go somewhere where you can just relax and be still and ask God, God, do you have anything that you want to say to me? Okay. You say, well, how do I know it's the voice of God? Listen, God created radio waves. He created television waves. He created cell phone waves. And if God can create those waves, he can put and impress you in your spirit. Say, I've been walking with the Lord for over 40 years now. Last Wednesday night, I'm going to tell you how this happens. Last Wednesday night, I was standing right there, minding my own business. All of a sudden, out of the blue, the Lord said, give that what's in, that's in your billfold. Give it. I was like, because normally I, I put, you know, my offering in an envelope and do all that. And so the Lord spoke to me, plain as day, standing right there last Wednesday. He said, give it, give it. I said, okay. I knew it was the Lord, so I just gave it. After that service, I had a couple walk up and gave me money. Then after that service, this happened last week. After that service, this couple called me back. And said, Pastor, you know that amount we gave you? He said, yes. He said, we just went to the mailbox because we were driving home from church and we opened up our mailbox and they said literally not, <laughs> it was literally tens, tens of thousands of dollars in their mailbox that they had no clue was coming to them. Tens of thousands. Now, what are you saying? I'm just saying that after walking with the Lord for 30 years, I, I knew that that wasn't the devil because the devil's not going to tell me to give. And I knew that wasn't me because Wayne likes to hold on to his money just like you do. I had plans for that. Benjamin Franklin, he was going to put him to work. But the Lord spoke to me. See, but, but here's the deal. The more, the more you walk with the Lord, here's what the scripture says. My sheep know my voice. But you can't go in there asking God for five things, telling him the five things you need, and then walk out and say, well, why doesn't God speak to me? You got to get still so that God can speak to you. Turn off the radio, cut off the TV, get your earbuds out, quit talking on the phone, and say, God, what do you want to say to me? And if it's an evil thought, it comes from the devil. If it's a thought that goes contrary to the word, then you know that's stupid because God's never going to ask you to go contrary to the word. If it's a God thought, it's called inspiration. If it's a demonic thought, it's called temptation. And if it's your thought, it's called... Questionable. Questionable. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm just joking. Here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. Get still and ask God, God, would you speak to me? How does God speak to me? Okay. He speaks into my spirit. Here's another way God speaks to me. He speaks to me through his word. Okay. Here's another way that God speaks to me. He speaks to me through other people. Other people. Okay. Somebody comes up and they say something and it just quickens me. I've gotten, I've gotten, y'all don't even know it, but I've gotten messages just from talking to some of you. Yeah. And it just, it just comes to me, just quickens to me. Okay. Learn how to listen to God. Does it make sense? Okay. Can I keep going? All right. Number six, and I'm hurrying. Collaboration. Bring a group around you. If there's one man that could have said, I don't need anybody, it was Jesus Christ. And yet the first thing he did is he chose 12 disciples. The only perfect man, and one of the first things he did was, I'm going to get 12 men around me. See, the reason why you don't pull people around you is because if you're not careful, you can say, well, I don't need that. I got this. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not, I'm not, um, I, I just want to be real with you this morning. I'm going to tell you right now, life happens. And in life, people die. People get sick. People have diseases. People have real struggles. And guess what? None of us are exempt from that. And when you have that, you're going to need somebody around you to pray for you and to lift you up. Again, I'm just paraphrasing so that I can keep rolling. But in your Bible, Jesus says this. He says, listen, would y'all come with me for a little bit? Because I'm under great distress. This was when he was about to go to the cross. Notice he did not say, and this is me paraphrasing, but he did not say, I need your words of wisdom. I need you to comfort me. He just says, I need you to come away with me. For the first seven days that Job had comforters and they didn't say anything, that was the best seven days. It all started going downhill when they opened their mouth. You say, I don't know what to say to people. I've never been there. Guess what? You don't have to have anything to say. Just your presence alone. I love you. I'm praying for you. I'm here for you. One of the best things you can do is maybe help clean their house if they let you, wash their car, fix them a meal. But if you're looking for magic words to say to people when they're dying of a broken heart, there are no magic words. Only God can heal the broken heart. This is why you need, you need a group around you. Why? Because you're not going to always live on easy street. Something's going to go wrong in your life. And I'm not wishing that on nobody, but I'm just telling you, everybody is going to suffer pain. You're going to suffer rejection. You're going to suffer hurt. And when that happens, you need somebody to speak into your life. And guess what? Just their presence. I drove to Houston, not because I wanted to drive to Houston the other day, but I went for my buddy because I knew he needed me. And for two hours, I just tried to pour into my friend. Guess what? Because I've had others pour into me. And we all need one another. But arrogance will try to keep you from having a group around you that says, I can do this by myself. And Jesus, the perfect man, could have said, I can do this by myself. But he didn't. He brought 12 men around him because he knew he needed a group. You need somebody. Can I get a witness? Here's number seven and I'm done. This is a little fun. This is a little lighter. You need to take time to recharge. Here's what Jesus said. He said that man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. He gives you one day in seven to rest. Why did he say, why does he do that? Because one of the reasons of many, one of the reasons of many is because he wants you to know that God can bless your efforts in six days, what the world can't do in seven. Right. 
And again, I'm going back to a verse I've already mentioned to you. The Bible says that they were so busy to eat, but Jesus said, come on, let's come apart for a while. Here's a little something you need to remember. If you don't come apart for a while, you're going to come apart. Okay. You need to recharge. You need to take, if you can, if you can, you need to take one day in seven to rest. One day in seven to rest. Rest your mind, rest your body, rest your spirit. Get away somewhere. Watch a sunset. Whatever, whatever it is that you do that you enjoy that speaks life to you. You need to do it. Okay? Would everybody agree that there's a lot of stress in this culture right now? So guess what? You got to take some steps to reduce your stress. How do I do that? Number one, know who you are. Know who you are, know what you're good at, know what you're not good at, and then do your best to bring a team around you. Hey, I hate with a passion to read contracts. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't be aware of this, but we've got a lot of thick contracts called insurance, and I hate to read all that fine print. So guess who gets to do that? Lisa does, because I hate it. Or Sissy does, because I hate it. That's why I need them. Okay. Would the, would the musicians come? Do y'all know, um, I'm going to change gears on you right quick. Do y'all know studies have shown that your sphere of influence is not much more than 100 to 150 people? In other words, you can't really care for more than 100 to 150 people. Did y'all know that? That's a fact. You can go and look that up. You can research it for yourself. That's why the average church in America is less than 100. You know why? Because that's about all one man can care for. Why are you saying that? Because Jesus knew that. And as good as Jesus was, he was God in the flesh, but he was still limited by his flesh. This is why I brought Brother Grigsby. Because if we're going to reach 600, I know I can't do it by myself. Can't. And here's my vision. Here's my vision for this church. My vision for this church is for us to begin to really get in groups. So that let's just, let's just say, for instance, Sister June... No, I don't want to use anybody. I don't want to speak that over anybody. But let's just say someone had to go to the hospital. And they're in this group. Guess who shows up first? Their group. Say, Pastor, you're trying to get out of something. No, I'm actually not. What I'm trying to do is take as many people to heaven with me as I possibly can. But I just understand I can't do it all. God didn't design me to. I'm a pastor, but every one of you are ministers. And when you quit putting yourself down and you understand this is what I can do. I don't do this so well. I do this kind of well. And I'm going to do it for the glory of God. Then guess what? We can just keep caring for people. Because the greatest hindrance to growth is the span of care. And that's why most churches never run above 100. What are you saying? I'm saying that I know I'm only good at just a couple things. That's why I need a team around me. And you do too. Know who you are. You don't need anything to prop you up. You're a child of God. Know what you're living for. This is my motivation. This is what gets me up in the morning. Know your calling. What's your shape? Number four, learn to listen to God. Meditation. Learn to meditate. Focus on what matters most. This is my concentration. I'm going to hang on to this and I'm going to let go of that. Get a group around you. That's collaboration. Here's what I bring to the table and I'm not very good at that. And then do your best to take one and seven to rest and refocus your mind, your spirit, your body.
Would you stand with me? Here's where, here's where I'm different than a lot. Here's where I'm, 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 I know this. I'm different than a lot. Here's where I'm different. Because church to me is way more than a Sunday morning goosebump. It is. It just is. Church to me is way more than a shimmy. And I like the shimmy. And I like the goosebump. And I love good worship and great music. I love it. It's way more to me than that. It's when you walk out of this church service and you walk on your job tomorrow, you know who you are. You know what God's called you to do. You know that if anything bad happens, you know some people that are on your front row and you know you can call them and at a moment's notice, they're going to start praying for you. You know how to get still and listen to the Lord and let Him speak to you. Somebody asked me, they said, I'm really struggling with joy, Pastor. I'm really struggling with joy. Here's what the Bible says. In His presence, there's fullness of joy. Now, every day, it doesn't happen every day. But here's one of my number one goals every day. I strive to get into the presence of God. Because when I get into His presence, a lot of my problems now start to shrink. And God gets bigger. And my problems get smaller. And my joy starts coming back up because in His presence, there is fullness of joy. I want more for you than a Sunday morning goosebump. I want you to live, not... not survive I want you to thrive in this culture because you know who you are you know what you're called to do you know how to get along with God you know you got a group around you that's going to lift you up and you're taking some time off because you've resigned as the atlas of the world guess what I'm not diminishing myself, but I'm going to tell you right now, I don't hold this church up. The Lord holds this church up. Oh, pastor, we don't know what we'd do without you. I'll tell you what you'd do. You'd you'd go through the process and you'd hire you another pastor. And you'd keep on going. Because this thing ain't built on one person. Listen, I've had so I've had numerous people. I know I'm keeping you, but listen to me. I had numerous people through the years think, boy, if I leave, if I leave, whew, this thing's gonna shut down. I'm gonna tell you something. If the church is no bigger than you or me, then it ain't his church. Then it ain't his church. Because if the very gates of hell can't prevail against his church, then I'm just, I, I'm not being rude or ugly, but I'm going to just tell you, one person ain't going to shut his church down. We, we need to get over ourselves and learn. This is what I bring to the table. This is what I'm good at. I'm not good at this. And that's why I need you. And together, if we can all get together, man, there's something phenomenal that could happen in this community. If we would all get rid of our egos and the big eyes and the little U's and just realize this is what I bring, but I don't bring that. Thank you for bringing that because I ain't no good at that. Don't put a wrench in my hand and ask me to be a mechanic. I can tell you right now, if I push the button and the car don't crank, Brother Wayne's in trouble. I'm going to check the battery. And after that, I'm done. Man, I love you guys. I love you. I want to see you at peace. 
Because everything out here is in turmoil. Everything out here is in chaos. Everything out here is trying to buy something to prop up themselves because they don't know who they are. I'm important because I'm toting this. Really? No, you're broke because you're toting that. I'm important because I'm driving this. Really? After six months, you're like, dear God, why did I buy this? No, you're not. You're important because Jesus went to Calvary and he stretched his hands out this wide to say, I love you this much. Would you lift up your hands and would you love on Jesus right now? Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I worship you. Lord, take this simple lesson today of how we can reduce stress in our life. Take it. And help us to walk this out. To know who we are. To know why we get up in the morning. To bring people around us to take a day of rest. And we thank you for it. I would be remiss if I didn't give everybody an opportunity here today. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, one of the main reasons why you're under so much stress is because you think you got to bear all this load. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus says this, take my yoke upon you and learn of me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Keep reading that verse. You know what it says? That you may find what? Rest. For your what? Soul. What is a yoke? What is a yoke? A yoke is when two animals come together and they pull together. And, and, and the load's not on one, but it's on both. When you yoke up with Jesus, I'm going to ask you a question and I promise you I'm done. When you yoke up with Jesus, who do you think's pulling the most? You or him? Probably him. And if you're feeling under a heavy load, why don't you come to Him this morning? Why don't you just say, God, I need you because I can't bear this by myself. God, I can't do this by myself. Help me. Father, if there's anyone here today that does not know you, I pray that you would take this word and let it be a seed. Let it be sown into the fertile hearts of your people that God, that it may bear forth fruit in due season. Lord, I pray for all of the people of God that you would put us at the right place at the right time. This week, Lord, put us in front of somebody that needs an encouraging word. And Lord, we don't want to just survive. We want to thrive. We want to live the abundant life. We want to see stress reduced in our life so that, Lord, we can stay focused on you and your purposes. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody say amen. Why don't you turn around and just give some love away? Don't forget we got...